0: Welcome to the Energy Environment Economy Podcast, a production of the Environmental Business Council of New England. My name is Ann Geisinger, I'm Executive Director at EBC and your host for this episode. Here at Energy Environment Economy, we talk about the business of the environment, which normally means site remediation, climate adaptation, water resources, and other work. But today, the episode will discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion, in particular, the disability community. Today, I'm talking with Jeff Lafata hernandez executive director of Empowering People for Inclusive Communities, or EPIC. Jeff founded EPIC in March of 2011 to address the growing need for transition-aged youth with disabilities to develop their leadership skills and to become more active in their communities. Jeff has devoted his career to working within the disability community in varied settings, from classrooms, community organizations, residential programs, and vocational environments. So welcome to Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. So a lot of Big questions I have for you, but maybe we'll just start off if you can tell me a little bit about EPIC, what you do with EPIC, did, you know the founding of EPIC, how it came to be, how it's grown since you founded it, all of the details.
1: Sure. So as you said, EPIC stands for Empowering People for Inclusive Communities. And our mission is to prepare young people with disabilities to be actively engaged community leaders while eliminating ableism to equip the world for today's disabled leaders. Um, so I founded Epic in 2011, the little backstory on that is, um, right out of high school, I had done AmeriCorps. So essentially like the domestic peace Corps, Um, and I worked in Boston public schools for two years. And the first year I was there, I worked in a special ed classroom and going into AmeriCorps, my plan was to go to school, to be a special ed teacher. And I realized I loved the students I worked with, but that was not the setting for me. I was not meant to be in a
0: classroom.
1: And so then after doing AmeriCorps, I got into the disability field. I worked at Perkins School for the Blind. I ran group homes. I did um, employment programs and community programs, but at the same time, I was always volunteering for other programs that did youth leadership. Many programs that I participated in at a young age and realized the youth I was dedicating my career to were not in the programs that I was volunteering at. Really where the idea of EPIC came from was ensuring that youth with disabilities have the opportunity to utilize community service and service learning as a tool to learn the skills that they need for the future. So today at EPIC, we primarily have two program areas. We have our service warrior program, which is our direct youth program. We run this program in Boston and in Worcester. And it's for youth between the ages of 16 and 23 with any and all types of disabilities. And it's a competitive program. So these young leaders apply, they do interviews, get recommendations, and if selected, they do a year of service with Epic. Um, it is an out of school program. So we meet primarily on weekends and every month they do a community service project in their city. So anything from cleaning parks to preparing meals for those in need, holiday toy drives, painting schools, just a whole variety of projects. And through every project, we focus on two things. First, in the morning, who are we serving? What community is this? Is this a geographic community, a cultural community? And are you a part of this community? Is our partner today a resource for you? And then at the end of the day, we focus on how do you utilize the skills today for your future? Every service project has things that can be applied to their future. So we're working in a kitchen, Do you want to go into culinary arts? This could be a career field for you. No? Well, do you want to live on your own? Because you need to learn how to cook for yourself. So we use service to teach them those skills, while at the same time getting them engaged in their community and getting the community to see these young people as the leaders that they are, and that they're not just people who need to be served, but they can serve and make an impact in our communities. And then the second part of the program is they do leadership development workshops. So they do workshops on political literacy, on financial literacy, public speaking, disability history, social justice 101, just a wide variety of topics to give these young people the tools that they need for whatever's next for them. And that whatever's next looks very different given the age range and disability range. But we also work with them on action planning and goal setting. How do we reach this goal and what are the next steps for you? So that's our service warrior program. And then our other program is our training and consulting. We realize that as much as we are building up these young leaders to go out and be contributing citizens in the community and join the workforce, if we don't train and provide support to the community at large, the barriers that they are going to hit are going to stop them from reaching those goals. So we work with uh, folks cross-sectors all across the United States doing training consulting on issues of disability inclusion, accessibility, and ableism. Um, And then for the folks who want to go the extra step, we take in the consulting. So we'll come in and help folks create policies and procedures for their organization, do accessibility audits, and really help people to understand what it means to become accessible for folks with disabilities, whether that's in your workforce or the services you're providing. So that's EPIC in a nutshell. Um, and how we got here. I mean, our program is, since the founding, has grown from we started in Boston. We're now in Boston and Worcester. And our community trainings and consulting have really grown. Initially, we were just kind of doing them for schools and nonprofits in the Boston area. And we're now doing it all across the country, across sectors. And luckily, over the past couple of years, there's been a, a renewed focus on DEI work. And Luckily, more people are starting to realize that disability is part of DEI work. That has really helped to grow this work and for folks to to begin doing this work with us.
0: One question for you. So what was keeping the students that you were working with in the classroom from accessing programs? You said that that was part of the reason why you wanted to develop Epic.
1: Well, a lot of the programs felt like they couldn't serve those people. They felt like the accommodations were going to be too much or the supports were too much, or even sometimes it's a matter of they think that they don't want to do it. People think that young people with disabilities don't want to do service learning programs or that they're they're not able to. In the reality, when I started Epic, I realized a lot of high schools in the state of Massachusetts require community service to graduate. A lot of those same high schools waive that requirement for students with disabilities. And I always say, that's literally helping no one. You're not helping the community and you're not helping them instead of doing the work, which it is work, but it's usually not as hard as people think it's going to be, make the accommodations for these young people to be successful in these programs.
0: As we we get started and talking a little bit more about sort of disability, ableism, things like that, I think maybe it would be helpful to define some language and talk a little bit about the language that people use when it comes to Disability, ableism, person-first language is something I've seen out in the world. Like, what are the things that you advocate for to use in terms of language? What are some definitions of, like, say, what is ableism that we can help um, our listeners better understand?
1: Yeah. So the first one I always like to give is the definition for disability. Um, So I like to use the definition from the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, and they define it as a person With a disability is an individual who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. And so in that definition is a lot of the disabilities that we typically think about in our society. Folks who use wheelchairs, people who are deaf, people who are blind, people who have Down syndrome or who are autistic. But it also includes mental health diagnoses. It includes things like chronic illness. It includes things like arthritis and diabetes. It includes HIV and AIDS and cancer. And so really getting folks to understand the disability community when we're talking about this is much larger than we typically think about in our society. So I think that's important to understand when having this conversation. Ableism, um, we define it at EPIC simply as a system of advantage and discrimination based on ability or perceived ability. So like any other ism, racism, sexism, heterosexism, and the list goes on, There's discrimination, so the action of, whether it's treating someone differently, not hiring someone because of their identity, whatever it might be, but there's also the system of advantage piece. There are people in our society, the way our society has been structured, that have some privileges over others. Whether they want them or not, it was a system we were all born into at this point. So looking at the, the power and privilege that people without disabilities have over those with disabilities, and In our trainings, we're working a lot of times of how do you work to not perpetuate that system and to challenge that system. And I mean, it's all interconnected. So when we're talking about racism and sexism and all the isms, ableism is a part of that. And so it's doing this work as a whole is really important to make sure that we're addressing all the isms and not just one ism. Right.
0: It's the intersectionality of all this work that we do that I think is very, very important. It's not siloed work, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, as far as language goes, um, so you brought up person-first language. So there's person-first language and identity-first language. Um, and a lot of people, understandably, get very stuck with I don't know which one to use. So person-first language, for those who don't know, is where you're putting the person before the disability. So a person with a disability, a person who uses a wheelchair, a child with autism. Right. You're putting the person before the disability. Identity first is the exact opposite. You're putting the disability identity first. So a disabled person, a wheelchair user, an autistic man. Um, So generally speaking, I tell people use whichever one you're more comfortable with. There's nothing wrong with either one of those. Um, However, we do know language is important. So absolutely. there, There are communities within the larger disability community that are very vocal about one or the other. The autistic community is one of them. So they are saying, use identity first language for us. Being autistic is very important to us and we want that first. So generally speaking, if I'm talking about that community, I use identity first language. And then again, though, it's individual. So you might be talking to someone who is on the autism spectrum that says no, I'm a person with autism." And so then I would right. use that language for that individual from that point on. So person person identity first language, you can use interchangeably. I often encourage people in a professional setting to use both. Okay. Um, when I teach and i I do things like this, I will purposely switch back from saying people with disabilities to disabled people so that I'm using language that anyone listening to this will hopefully be able to relate to.
0: That makes sense. And I think um, I think that really helps people understand, you know, there isn't one way forward. When you're in your work environment, workplace environment, switching back and forth is probably the most inclusive way. And then when you talk to an individual person, you just listen to what they tell you and you go from there with what they've told you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. you think there's anything else that should be defined or talked about when it comes to just sort of generally the disability world and things that you find that people need to know more about? just from a definition standpoint?
1: Yeah, there's two other things as far as the language that we use when talking about Mm -hmm. um, people with disabilities that I like to address. And one is disability is not a dirty word. Um, Don't be afraid to say disability or disabled or the specific disability that someone has. And I really encourage folks to stop using all the other terms, special needs, differently abled, handicapped, handicapable, all of those terms, Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. One, the disability community has been very vocal. This is our identity, this is our community, this is our term. Um, And so that number one point blank period should be the reason why we're using these words. The other thing though to think about is one, who created all these other terms? It was people without disabilities because we have been taught that disability is a bad word, that it's pointing out something negative. And what I really encourage folks to do is if you feel that way, that's natural. We've been taught that from the moment we were born, but we need to unpack that and not put that on people with disabilities, but to do that work ourselves so that we become comfortable with saying disability or disabled. But then specifically as someone who works with youth with disabilities, it is so important for them to have access to that word. They're not going to go to college and have a special needs office. They need to to be able to relate to that word to get the, the accommodations they need. Same thing in the workforce. They need to relate to that word to get the accommodations that they need. But also there's a disability community, there's history, there's a movement. And when we're not giving them that term, we're robbing them of all of that. So I always encourage folks, use disability, use disabled, or use the specific disability that they have. You know, CP, autism, whatever it might be. And then the one other tip I like to give folks is don't use descriptors for someone's disability. Um, oftentimes when we do that, and it's not intentional, but we actually end up painting disability in a negative light. Someone suffers from. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. um, struggles with, or I've even heard people just say, you know, they have really bad feeling, whatever disability it is. Oh and Yeah. Right. The intention is not negative, but it has an, a negative outcome to it. Even terms like low-functioning and high-functioning, I would stay away from those terms. Um, they're too subjective. What is high-functioning or low-functioning to you could be very different than what that means to me. And so in, in, I generally find even as someone who works in this field, they're just not helpful. If anything, let me know what someone's support needs are. How can I assist someone? But mm-hmm. high-functioning and low-functioning doesn't give me that information. So those are two things that I think come up regularly if we're talking about disability that I would really encourage people to keep in mind
0: I'd never considered the fact that once kids are out of the school system no one uses any of those terms that you mentioned anymore it's the disability it's all it's ADA so it's American Disabilities Act Americans with Disabilities Act work and things like that that if you're a student and you've never really been taught that that's something you need to seek out yeah of course you would not really it's not part of your frame of mind so that's important and I had come across, um, you know, wheelchair bound. It's not, you're not bound to the wheelchair. It's actually providing you freedom of movement, right? And that's the one place I had heard of that before was it's not a negative thing to be in a wheelchair, right? It's actually providing you freedom of movement and ability to get around. So, well, that's great. I think it's good to start with a nice background of information. So is there anything that you would want to mention today and just in a very short time that we have about sort of the historical... You know, setting of discrimination against disabled people, maybe just in this country or it could be global, I guess, if you want. But
1: (laughs) Uh, that's a big question. Big topic. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's since the beginning of (laughs) human time,
0: yes, right. (laughs) There
1: has been discrimination and people with disabilities have been treated differently. And a lot of times it ultimately comes down to people with disabilities are less than. Um, And so whether that has shown itself by people with disabilities were victims of the Holocaust, just like Jewish people and other people, Um, whether it is the institutionalization of people with disabilities and ripping them out of their homes and communities and schools and robbing them of bodily autonomy and choice and to live the lives they want to live, whether it's segregation. I mean, in schools today, that is the only legal encouraged segregation that we still see in every school, right? So it can show itself in many different ways. I think for folk now in the day-to-day, there is, of course, paying attention to how our our world world is built, right? And whether that is the physical environment, you know, in the city of Boston, there are so many restaurants and stores that are not accessible to folks who use a wheelchair or a walker whether things are available in Braille or not, noticing if there are sign language interpreters at events or closed captions on things, but also looking at legislation, right? We still have laws that continue to keep people with disabilities in poverty. People with disabilities are the largest minority group living in poverty today, and we have systems set up in our country that are supposedly there to quote-unquote help them, like Social Security and disability benefits, but it also keeps them... In poverty, there's actually legislation out there right now being voted on that would raise the cap for folks who are receiving benefits to be able to have go from having two thousand dollars in their bank account to ten thousand dollars in their bank account. And if you think about it, if you're only allowed to have two thousand dollars in your bank account, there's only one emergency that needs to happen before that's even. right.
0: Even half of an emergency at this point, like that's that's not much to cover anything these days. Yeah.
1: And the other thing that plays into that is we talk a lot about marriage equality in our society, and everyone thinks now that same-sex marriage is legal, we have marriage equality. We don't. Because of these laws, a lot of people with disabilities who are getting benefits, if they get married, they lose all of their benefits. And that's not just money. That's personal care attendants who come home to help them live independently. And so part of this legislation that's out there right now Part of that would ensure marriage equality for people with disabilities. It would ensure that people are able to have more than $2,000 in a bank account. So ableism today can show itself, in a, or discrimination in general against people with disabilities, shows itself in many different ways. And some of them people are just not aware of at all because there's not enough disabled people at the table sharing. And not because they don't want to, because they don't have access to the table. But yeah, I... That was a loaded question. So I'm not totally yes. sure. Yes. No, I think, I think but.
0: that's a great, I think that's a good primer. I mean, I think that's a good overview of some of the current situations and things that have, you know, are in place now. And we'll definitely link in the show notes to that legislation that you mentioned. That's important to learn more about and become more active on if that's within, you know, a listener's capabilities. So I think, yeah, I think that was a great answer. <laughs> I mean, really what i want to do also is drive people to Epic to get training and, get that knowledge from you um, as well. You know, there's only so much we can, you know, teach people on a podcast episode. So so October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And the focus of this year's campaign for the month is Advancing Access and Equity. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means, um, generally speaking, what that might mean for employers, um, you know, just from your perspective.
1: Yeah, so... I think the month is great. And I think it gives us a platform. The first thing I would say is if you're doing this work, it's beyond a month. Correct. Um, <laughs> I would say I get in the month of October, I get lots of inquiries about training and all of that. And then November hits and it all crickets. Yeah. So remembering it's beyond a month. I would say the other thing to keep in mind is when doing work around accessibility and equity, it has to be intentional. And it has to be ongoing. Just like if you're doing racial equity work, it's intentional. It's not a thing on the side. It's not an oh by the way that we do every once in a while, but really making sure you're doing the work intentionally to be an equitable workplace and an accessible workplace, or ensuring that your clients have accessibility and equi- equity in order to get your services, I think is really important. And so that goes everywhere from company culture to Do you have a reasonable accommodation policy and procedure that's very clearly defined? Do you seek out employees with disabilities? Are you trying to hire people with disabilities? And what does that mean to be able to hire people with disabilities? So looking at your job descriptions and job postings and all of this can go into it. And, you know, thinking about things like what are accommodations and what could those look like in your workplace so you're prepared when folks come to ask for it. I think all comes down to really being intentional that this is work that you want to do and you're you are committing to put the time and effort into doing it.
0: I think that's great. I think when it comes to some of the conversations I've had with you know EBC members and through our DEI committee and in other places it's been difficult for some to make positive moves forward you know, there's pushback. Oh, well, this person's a field, it's supposed to be working in the field and they have to lift 50 pounds. So then if you can't do that, you can't have the job. And, you know, are there, are there resources beyond Epic or are there other places people can seek out information where they can learn how to make the case or figure out how to review their job descriptions? Of course they can come to Epic, I'm sure, but <laughs> there must be other places too where there's that resource.
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of places and especially in New England and in Massachusetts. It is one of the best places to be as far as disability resources and supports. So whether it is you getting in contact with your local independent living center, these are organizations that are run for and by people with disabilities, whether it's the New England ADA Center, which is based out of Boston. um, These are all resources that you can do some online trainings with them. They can look at stuff for you, um, have conversations. If there is a question about someone asking for an accommodation, and is this reasonable, and, and what is my obligations? These are resources that I think can really help people. I also really encourage folks to look at the requirements of their jobs, and what are primary functions of that position, and what are marginal. Right. You gave a great example of lifting 50 pounds, and I'm sure for some folks who are listening to this, there are people in their workforce that that is a primary function of their job, they're out doing physical work that they have to be able to lift 50 pounds. But other folks, it's on their job description. And a lot of times a workplace will do it just to cover themselves, unless someone, in case someone has to pick up the printer paper box (laughs) right? they don't hurt themselves. But that's not a primary function of that person's job, right? So really looking at what is a primary function. And to be clear, a primary function is if you removed that from the job description, it would change what that job is. So if you removing it doesn't change the job, it's not a primary function of that job anymore. So I think that's really important for folks to think about and to be aware of when they're posting positions, but also understanding that just because you may see or be aware of a disability when someone's interviewing doesn't mean that they can't do that primary function. So you are always allowed in an interview to say, hey, a requirement of this job is to be able to lift 50 pounds. Is that something you can do? And they can say yes or no. The other key thing to remember, though, is when they say yes, that doesn't mean they can do it without an accommodation, but they may already know what that accommodation is. And they'll share that with you at the time that they're hired. But really just being sure that, and this is, again, where ableism come into play, that you're not seeing a disability or someone mentioned a disability, and now it's influencing whether you think someone is capable to do the job or not.
0: That's a really good point to make. So... Are there some first steps to a more inclusive workplace? Um, I don't know if it ties into the advancing access and equity um, you know, campaign, but what are those first steps? It sounds like looking at your job postings and deciding, is that really necessary to be in that job posting or can it be removed? Any other simple things like one to two other things you can do just as a first survey?
1: One is in your DEI work, make sure you're talking about disability right? And whether that is slowly including that in the conversation, whether that's reaching out to Epic or someone who does this work to come in and do training or consulting. But if you're doing DEI work and you're leaving out disability, you're not doing DEI work, right? You're doing maybe racial equity work or addressing gender equity in the workplace, but you're not doing DEI work if you're not including disability in this conversation. And then the other really big one to me is make sure you have a good, reasonable accommodation policy and procedure that is ensuring equity for folks as they're asking for accommodations. And that not only helps those employees who need an accommodation, but it helps you. It is the studies show that folks who get the accommodations they need in the workplace are more successful, they are better employees for you, they stay longer. Inclusive workplaces have better business. They do better and bring in more revenue. So the, doing the work to ensure some of those just small, smaller things to start can really change your work environment and, and the outcomes of your company.
0: And that is a really good uh, quick plug here for EBC's upcoming workshop with you, Jeff. We're going to have Jeff um, come do um, a disability um, inclusion workshop for anybody associated with EBC or that gets our emails. You're welcome to join. Um, It can be, and you know, you don't have to be part of the EBC community. It's open to anybody who'd like to register. So yeah, we'll put that in the show notes as well. But I think it's a, I think you're very, very right. Like this, if you're not including disability in DEI work, then you're not really doing DEI work and um, having a workshop specific to it, I feel like really helps present that to the EBC community. Like, remember, this is part of DEI work and we need to do training on it. And if you don't have access to that within your own workplace, EBC can provide that for you. So Thank you very much for agreeing to do that for us. Of course. So anything you want to leave leave on the table here before we wrap up with my last question?
1: I mean, the last things I would say is, again, being intentional, but don't feel like you have to jump in full force. Baby steps are okay, as long as you're making the steps, right? So even thinking about the things we just talked about, just beginning to make sure you have a policy or hiring someone to do a training to get the ball rolling on this. I also want to stress for folks, because this is a big misconception that worries a lot of people, most accommodations do not cost a lot of money. Don't worry about that. Most accommodations are less than $100 if it costs anything. And the return on investment is huge. So keeping that in mind. And then as a a plug, if anyone wants to learn more about Epic or is interested in our training consulting, um, our website is epicleaders.org.
0: And we'll have all that information in the show notes as well for people if you want to jump over to their website. Highly recommend it. So to wrap up, something I ask everyone, uh, what's capturing your attention this
1: week? I guess what is capturing my attention this week, honestly, and this might seem weird, but is the weather. (laughs) I I feel like the rain (laughs) one day that feels like a monsoon. It
0: legitimately felt like a monsoon had come over the Boston area. I I don't know exactly where you live, but. It was just mind blowing.
1: (laughs) And with our programming, I feel like every other day I'm texting the staff being like, can we still do this service day? It's right. texting the staff about this Saturday because it's supposed to rain again this Saturday. So I feel like the the weather is having a huge impact right now.
0: (laughs) I was on, on uh, Monday. I was like, well, at least it says that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are going to be sunny days in the mid seventies, it seems like gonna be fine weather. And then I'm very sad to hear you report that it was Saturday, it's gonna rain again, but.
1: It's coming. So much rain, so much rain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's capturing many people's attention if they live in this area, so yeah. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining today. Um, it's really great to have you. Really, really educational to hear all about this work that you do and just start those baby steps toward learning how to be more inclusive about the disability community. And um, I'm really looking forward to the training in October. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jeff Lafata hernandez learning more about his organization, empowering people for inclusive communities, and more about the disability community. As we discussed together, disability is often left out of DEI discussions, but it is an important aspect of diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And there are a lot of ways to engage with the disability community to further your education and become more aware of ableism. National Disability Employment Awareness Month is October, and this year's campaign is Advancing Access and Equity, and I encourage you to learn more about the Awareness Month and about their campaign for this year, Advancing Access and Equity. You'll find links from the discussion in the show notes, as well as a link back to our website, ebcne.org. Our next episode will be out in two weeks, and it's actually the first in a two-part series on corporate sustainability and ESG, and ESG is Environment, Social, and Governance. So in the meantime, before you get to that, please like, rate, and review the podcast. I'm always interested in hearing more from listeners about potential guests and topics. Energy Environment Economy is a production of the Environmental Business Council of New England. Thank you to EBC Administrative Coordinator Stephanie Sukar for editing the episode and managing the branding and marketing. Music is only forward by Roman Scenic Music, 2023.